On this week's episode, we tackle the wonderful world of macOS development. It's way more than struts and springs, and we walk you through exactly what you need to get started, what's different from iOS, and how Xamarin Forms is about to completely change the game of desktop application software. All that and more on this week's Merge Conflict. Ever since I was a Wii programmer, I fell in love with the Mac operating system. I wasn't even a Wii programmer, I was just learning to type, but it was the first time I had used a Mac, and it was just black and white, it was kind of silly looking, but I just fell in love with its giant icons and simple apps. And so I thought, today, James, I want to talk about Macs and programming for Macs and why it's a great little operating system. Now, Frank, can you today explain how we can take the macOS garbage can and when you drag something over <laughs> it, a little Oscar the Grouch comes out and then does a little song and dance? Uh, I don't think they support extensions anymore. <laughs> Mac used to be this awesome operating system where everyone uh, wrote tons of customizations because it was a very uh, freewheeling hippie operating system. So you could just write things and change anything about it. Uh, that doesn't happen so much anymore ever since it got its Unix underpinnings. But oh. uh, you do remind me of something. I remember the first time I used a Mac, I put a floppy in it. And for the life of me, I couldn't get the darn floppy back out of it. It was the first time I learned that you had to like drag the floppy to the garbage can. And it was no. the weirdest thing ever. Oh and that's how you ejected it. It's still how you eject things. Now you drag it to the recycle bin. Yeah, but they at least now they put the little eject button, I guess, on it when you drag something yeah. like a yeah. My first <laughs> a little experience, importance. <laughs> yeah, my, my my first experience with a Mac was I have no idea what grade I was in or what school I was in somewhere in Midwestern Ohio somewhere, and we had we had the whatever Mac that was Apple two four eight one of those <laughs> sure. I don't I don't know what, what version it was but it was the first one yeah, with the GUI user interface it must have been the mm-hmm. one of the first Macs they weren't iMacs yet iMacs were came li- coming yeah. later but you yeah. could you could you could drag whenever you want to delete stuff and everyone we all installed the extension for Oscar the Grouch and we all thought it was the coolest thing ever <laughs> and we all played ski free that's all we did it had ski free I thought ski free was a Windows thing Pretty sure it had oh, ski free. Someone will yell at us on Twitter that ski free. <laughs> let me let me type it in and I'll play. I, I mostly played Mavis Beacon typing make you type program. Uh, it took me a long time to actually grow up and get a proper Mac. I think it was 2008 when I um, first got one after playing around as a kid. I'd fallen in love with them in college. I'd gotten to the point where whenever I had to write a term paper or something, I'd always go to the liberal arts college and sit in their Mac lab and work on the Macs just because I loved them there. (laughs) But it still took me till 2008 to actually buy one for myself. Hmm. Maybe... Yeah, maybe. No, it did. No, I'm looking here, by the way, for ski, ski free. I just ignored everything that you said. Okay, and I'm good. totally looking that there was totally a ski free for Windows, Mac, iOS. Now, I don't know when the Mac version came out. I could be totally <laughs> lying. Okay. But, um, it's a great game either way. Yeah, it is a great game. I highly recommend everyone <laughs> go and download ski free. It's, it's fantastic. I didn't know there was an iOS version. I'm going to go get okay. that. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I don't even care if it costs $9.99. Worth it. Um, support at 99 cents by the way is what it costs <laughs> um, which is great. and as the original icon this is the best i will put it in the show notes people go by <laughs> 1.6 megs you know it's fantastic oh my gosh you, you i want to build this now get you with a game you love your games 
Well, ski free. Anyway, is that what we're talking about? Building ski free and extensions today, Frank? Is that what you want to talk about for Mac OS? Because no, when I, I found Mac OS, <laughs> when I found Mac OS, and I was just like, oh, it's so bubbly. It's very Windows XPE for me. And I just, mm. I never really fell in love. So I never really got yeah. into the development. But more so recently, um, I've been, I still use my Mac quite often. And I had to go to my Mac to use some software like Sketch, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. program. And there's just no yeah. equivalent. I find some of the best desktop software actually on the Mac nowadays. Um, maybe it's because that's where you make money. Uh, but mm-hmm. I've been really interested in porting some of my apps over into it. And I've ported some other stuff. So I'm, I'm really interested in, in, in gaining the knowledge from Frank Krueger of macOS mm-hmm. development. Well, let's let's definitely go there. And and you actually bring up something interesting. When I first switched over to the Mac, I, w- I was actually worried whether there would be any apps for it because, I don't know, a whole new operating system, I didn't know what was on it. But it turns out, like you said, uh, there are just amazing software developers writing apps for the Mac. And you can take a lot of inspiration from other people's apps. But basically, I think we're doing it because the Mac has always had a pretty good um, ecosystem, sales, app sales ecosystem, where people write software and people buy it. It's always kind of been a part of the culture. And I yeah, think, do you think that do you think that that's grown since there's been this new public app store that's available, or do you think that most people don't care about the app store? <laughs> It's hard to say. Um, the App Store definitely gets looked at a lot less than uh, the iOS App Store. So while I think it's definitely grown in quantity, uh, the iOS App Store had a negative effect. Uh, they were pushing the prices down in the Mac App Store, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad. Mobile's uh, price plunge kind of affected Mac apps. But uh, they're, they're coming back. Like You can still charge $10, 20 30 $40 uh, for an app, and people are still willing to pay that. And so when you look at how much effort you put into writing an app and how much uh, <laughs> return on investment you get, how much money you actually make, uh, when you can charge $20 for an app versus $3 or begging for money over ads or in-app purchases, it just works out a lot better. It's a much larger profit margin. Yeah, that makes sense. And and at the same time, I've actually seen some programs start in the App Store, move out of the App Store and have a transition like Sketch. You, yeah. I think older versions you can buy in the App Store, but not anymore because app the App Store kind of sandboxes your application a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I think that's unique, though. Just like on Windows, you can still distribute your XE or whatever you want with your installer. Sure. But on Mac, I assume it's way easier because it's like an X copy, right, to the yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to distribute your app, you most likely just zip up the .app file, the thing that the compiler outputs. So if you're in Xamarin Studio, you hit build, it generates a .app file. You zip that up, you put it on a server, and somehow figure out a way to collect money to get it or just release it for free, whatever. That works out really well. And in fact, uh, there's even... Um, Gosh, the name, the name is uh, escaping me right now, but there's a pretty standard library people use for doing uh, app updates also. So a lot of times when you use a Mac app, you... Mm, Is it Squirrel? Well, Squirrel's the new one. Sparkle, Sparkle, you got it. Sparkle. Uh, That's the classic one, yep. And most apps have that. And so you really can get a long way uh, just releasing apps yourself. The other downside of the app stores, they take 30% from you uh money i'm always talking about money and the sandboxing really is rough have you it's a little weird like the sandboxing do you have any opinions on it because i have a lot (laughs) 
Well, I mean, a lot of developers ask me, well, how do I make my apps talk to, to this and to that and back and forth on iOS and on Android? And Android's a little bit less sandbox, but you're always still kind of sandbox. It's not like I'm going to reach mm-hmm. into Gmail's app directory and grab stuff. So I think from a user's point of mind, having things sandbox um, is kind of nice because it makes things yeah. a little bit more user-friendly. Like I know that when I install this app from the App Store, then I know that it's not going to be able to touch other stuff and do some things that are out of yeah. Apple's jurisdiction. But sometimes you need to, um, some really crazy extensions. Yeah. I mean, I have stuff that goes in and tells me all these statistics and does all this stuff and mm-hmm. it's really crazy. Um, and I don't think you can do that. So it's nice that you can have it if you need it yeah. and not if you just want to distribute it yourself. Yeah, the sandboxing, for the most part, is never in your way. Uh, they've done a really good job of integrating it. So the biggest restriction I find with the sandbox is that you can't open files willy-nilly uh, just given a path to them. So I can't just go looking around your hard drive. This is why backup programs and things like that never make it up onto the App Store. Uh, the, they just can't do it within the sandbox. And for the most part, that's just fine for an app um, because you can even drag files onto an app and then Apple will make an exception there so you can open that file. So it's all very user-oriented. So whatever the user tells the app to do, like if you present an open file dialog, you get access to whatever the user selects. It's fine. Uh, it's only if the app tries to go off on its own and open a file the user did not manually select that you run into trouble. And if, if, like I said, for the most part, that works fine. But I, I keep writing apps that where I do actually want to touch other files. <laughs> like I, I'm writing an IDE. And an IDE, you open a project file. That's what your manual operation. So Apple gives you access to that. But um, a project file can reference multiple files scattered around your hard drive. So the app can't actually go and open those files now. So it's really restrictive in that sense for certain types of apps. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, even if you look at what iOS does, it's very similar. I remember when you released Kin- Continuous, I'm just like, well, how do I do this Git thing? And how do I share things? And you have to live within the restrictions of the operating system and know that platform very well. So, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to integrate really deeply into ShareSheet, or I'm going to deeply integrate into Dropbox for it or something like that without having to rewrite all this stuff. And it makes a lot of sense. So I think what you have to do is like any, when you begin any app development and go to a new platform, it's like, hey, what what is this platform about? What are the best practices? Mm-hmm. What does Apple recommend? Does my app fit in this box? And hey, there's an amazing app store where I have to do nothing for updates. I have to do nothing for distribution. Right. And I do take a 30% hit, but I'm paying for that. Or I'm going to go figure it all out myself. So I have to do a little bit of extra work and plug in Sparkle and then figure out my um, pricing model and things like that. But um, I think it's kind of cool that that it exists like that. And if your app falls into the sandbox and it works okay, then boom, you're good to go. If not, I think it's just important to realize that on Mac, you have the option to live outside the sandbox and there's APIs to do that if you want to. Yep. Yeah, I I actually spend way too much time thinking about the sandbox uh, (laughs) just because the app store is so worth it. I really don't Mm -hmm. actually want to host my own apps and take people's credit card information. I'm really not interested in that. Yeah, so I'd rather rack my brain and figure out ways to deal with the sandbox than go off on my own. But that's me. I'm a weirdo. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, and those seem like the core APIs, but when it comes to the user interface, I mean, 
to me, I've developed a lot of WinForms applications, WPF applications uh, on the desktop before. I've never created anything for Mac desktop. <laughs> to me, what I really want, to be honest, is is it okay if I if I take the same UI paradigms of iOS and apply them <laughs> to Mac minus the touch, right? Because there's no touch screen. But when I think of a Mac application, Frank, I mean, I'm running an iOS application in a simulator all the time. Like that'd be mm-hmm. cool if it was just on my desktop, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Let's call that the Xamarin Forms approach. (laughs) The one one UI to rule them all. Uh, It's very tempting, right? I think people have even worked on porting UIKit over to the Mac. Uh, Mm. I remember like the first Twitter client really looked just... Actually, I think it still does. Looks just like the iOS client. Um, So people have gone that route for sure. But there are differences. Um, you're you're using a high precision pointing device called a mouse now mm, and mouse, you can get away yeah yeah it's this new invention so you can get away with like uh just superficial things like uh if i have a list of items the list height is 20 pixels high not 44 pixels high so you can just fit a lot more in now you might think like maybe the ios approach is better you know lots of white space spacing things out all that but if you want to go for a native looking app then there are ui differences to get over the good news is the api is pretty simple hmm. is it is it so it's not ui kit you said that they needed a port nope. ui kit so but there's mm-hmm. i'm assuming that mac os has been around for a lot <laughs> longer or mac so mac os 10 x 10 x 10 10 you're killing me 10 uh mac 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 os 28 no uh, 11 no x x yeah so 10 has been around for a a long time and there was ways to develop the ui for it it's not ui kit ui kit is ios correct yeah yeah uh they use a library called app kit a mm. kit for writing apps. It makes a lot of sense. And mm. actually, this puppy is a bit old. This one actually comes from the next days. So Ooh. when Apple bought Next, they got this API slash operating system. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it goes all the way back there. Yeah. Did you watch and, the Did you watch the Netflix documentary series? Well, it wasn't even. It's on Netflix. Did you watch the Steve mm-hmm. Jobs Lost interview when he was at Next before the acquisition? I believe you've asked me to watch this multiple times and I still gotta watch it. I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's super good. And he's talking, he talks a lot about the UI and the inspiration. And anyways, anyways, I sidetracked, but anyways, back to Mm -hmm. it. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Well, I I, I like it because there's a lot to learn from next. The cool thing about next was they were very good object oriented programmers who cared a lot about API design. They weren't just, you know, willy nilly creating a button and a page and a view and, you know, thinking mm-hmm. about it. They thought about the whole app altogether. How's it easy to write the app? How can you design the app separate from the code? All these things. So out of that came this beautifully designed API, which we still have access to today, which we still use today called AppKit. Has it improved in the last 12 years? <laughs> 20 years? No, it hasn't, it hasn't needed to. <laughs> it's stable. Oh, it's just that good. <laughs> and it really is. I mean, you've seen the Mac evolve from its um, bubbly, colorful days. I forgot what you called those earlier in this episode. Windows it XP. went through its like, yeah, it went through its Windows XP phase. Um, didn't, all didn't the way we up to its more. Up. Yeah. 
<laughs> up to it's now slightly more refined everything's gray and subdued kind of thing and none of that really required rec- recompiling an app or anything um mm. it didn't require any new controls or anything like that it just all every everything just matures nice and slowly well, that's the nice still, thing about it nice and slow <laughs> do you still have like the stand well, that's actually nice i mean i i i like that i mean I'm, mm-hmm. I'm i'm i think that os's should slow down i mean they have been slowing down a little bit but i'm okay with that you know yeah for sure slow your roll apple the and apps Google. can take over we, we can do the creative stuff in the apps but yeah exactly if we keep changing everything every three two years you know it's you, uh, yeah it's tedious but anyway <laughs> so app kit is that essentially the standard toolkit that's there is that like all the ui widgets and is that also the navigation is that like the ui view controller type thing are these paradigms similar or no yes um uh everything you just said yes (laughs) so AppKit has your most basic fundamental things like Mm -hmm. buttons and text boxes what are some more fundamental things yeah (laughs) you know sliders all that stuff in fact it's got some crazy controls like it has dials in it and there's something like 16 different button styles you can actually get out of it so it's actually a pretty yeah pretty interesting little design there uh but then it it builds up from there uh it's next major abstraction you have your controls then you have your general purpose views which are just things that you can control yourself and draw yourself if you want to and then the next thing up is a window because it's a window-based operating system and all that. And so it's very simple. You have a window and you have these controls and you can uh, use those together. Now things get interesting when you say controllers though, because they are all in on the MVC uh, architecture. That's model view controller architecture. So we have lots of controllers. We have Windows window controllers, document controllers, I don't know, tab bar controllers, uh, you know, these kinds of things. So they're there. Um, if not, there's, uh, there's just a lot more of them than in iOS. So you'll get quite comfortable with them. Oddly enough, view controllers were a new addition to, mm-hmm. to AppKit. They weren't needed. Life was good. They actually came from the iOS world. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I like that, though. I mean, so MVC, I mean, I've done a lot of MVC. And if you've done ASP.NET and you've done Android Core and you've done anything else, it's it's similar. It's the idea is you just have, you know, your model, your view and your controller. And I think that that's paradigm has been around for like ever. So you don't have to do a lot of relearning, I guess, is what's important. It's not like a whole shift no. in how you think. And the nice thing is it's an optional model. You can pretty mm-hmm. much ignore the controllers if you want and do things kind of like the Windows Forms way where you really just have all these primitive controls, just kind of a cacophony of them on the screen and you're managing their visibility and all that kind of stuff. So you can do without that. But otherwise, you can opt into think uh, UI view control or <laughs> NS view controllers. Instead of being uh, UI for UI kit, it's NS for next step. So oh, okay, it's a next it. step yes. view controller. Yep. Next step. Got it. Yeah, got next it. Next step. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So you can create those, and uh, they have some of the iOS navigation paradigms. But if you think about it, not many Mac apps actually have like navigation stacks and back buttons. So generally, we don't do pushing on and that kind of stuff too much. Oh, so everything is just kind of in one thing. Generally speaking, you open a window. If okay. you ever want to like go to a new page, you open a window. 
It, it's a window-based operating system. If you, I, I don't know when you first started doing iOS programming, but the early versions of Xcode were a little infuriating uh, coming from like a Windows Visual Studio background because it was a multi-window-based thing. It just had windows here, windows there, your property inspector, your, you know, all your different files were different windows. Um, so th- that, that was that was the general idea of just keep opening windows. But like I said, there is an influence from iOS and mobile and all that. And so you are starting to see some uh, navigation pushing style. Uh, and it makes sense. I think even on, even on windows desktop, I, I feel as though almost everything stays inside of one window mm-hmm. and back arrows and things. But when I feel like when I use Apple or Mac OS applications, a lot of things use some sort of, um, tab or side tab type thing yeah. if i look at like you know it kind of it's it's essentially swaps between all your different views in a way if you're mm-hmm. using like a tweet bot or something essentially there's tabs and accounts on the left hand side and everything's inside of there and it doesn't fly over type thing and it tries to keep it in there clear right it just kind of has this up down paradigm shift and it doesn't really try to open too many new things Right. Um, but that's interesting. I mean, Chrome, right, and, has as many tabs as you want, but new windows, but interesting. Well, uh, to go back to how AppKit kind of evolves with the times, it's kind of interesting because they have kind of first class support for apps that have like a navigation on the left. Um, hmm. If you just put a, an NS tree, gosh, I'm going to get this wrong, <laughs> an NS outline view or an NS tree view on the left, and you actually um, uh, put it in a splitter panel, so it's actually docked on the left, then the app kit actually recognizes that and does like the cool uh, Sierra glossy background for you. Mm. So it's not even like something you program in, it's just if you follow the paradigms of the the layout of the operating system it keys off of that and it sees things and it can make it blend into the operating system very nicely and advance with the times that also came up with uh like i was saying whenever you want to go to a new thing you generally open a new window well nowadays people are getting kind of tired of new windows popping up everywhere we kind of prefer tabs if you're going to do something like that So the API actually never changed in Sierra. You still say open new window, but as long as you tag things a little properly, it'll actually open it in a new tab. And it'll do it'll create the tab bar for you. It'll create all the tab management for you. Uh, it'll switch out all the UI elements for you. It basically merges two windows together, and then the tab becomes swapping between the two windows. So it's just cool because you use the same API that's literally been there <laughs> since next step, but now the operating system just keeps getting smarter and just makes your app better and better and um, more modern, just following <laughs> the conventions of the times. It, it, and it's interesting because I, I know that there's a storyboard control, a storyboard designer and interface builder mm-hmm. that you use for all this stuff. And there's, and I know that uh, Xamarin doesn't have a storyboard designer, so it doesn't you know, clean up some things for you, but I'm, I'm used to interface builder and, and dragging and dropping controls around. Uh, so I assume I still have to create my actions and outlets, essentially names <laughs> and events behind the scenes and into a header file. But uh, I guess my question is when I go and think about iOS development now, I'm essentially creating an iOS application for iPad pro iPad mini, you know, iPhones, big iPhones, landscape portrait, is it okay if I just say, listen, my application on Mac is 800 by 600 or maybe not that big, 480 by whatever, 
and like this is my user interface, right? It doesn't morph. Like my 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 actual question is, do I have to worry about constraints? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like is, that, that's actually my question. So because that's the thing is, okay. it's not it's not like people are rotating their laptops. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, right. So okay, is that a concern? Let me start with. Let me start with. If you've taken the time to write, let's say, an iPad version of your app or a tablet version of your app, very much that will translate to the desktop just fine. People will tolerate it. Maybe you got to back your fonts down or something like little things like that. But you can generally do that. Now, going to like a more iPhone sized app, the little one that you were talking about, there's actually a long tradition of Mac apps having very stylized uh, Chrome. Remember, that's what we used to call that part of the app, the outside oh, yeah. part of the app, <laughs> uh, having a very stylized uh, polish to it, un- un- not resizable, just kind of fixed, does what it does. And I don't think people mind that too much. So yeah, you can go like the Twitter approach and just move your iPhone app over to the desktop. It's fine. As long as you're using like the native controls and copy and paste work, like, you know, you don't want to use some crazy toolkit that's not supported. But as long as you're in the end using AppKit, it'll be fine. Yeah. And and so I'm still dragging over, you know, UI widgets and and things like that from a storyboard file over. So if I've done storyboard work, most of that's going to be very familiar if I've done that Xamarin Studio slash mm-hmm. interface builder synchronization model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't we love that model? Uh, so it generally, it does. Generally speaking, I, I tend to do a kind of a code first approach. So the majority of my U, UI is written in code, but mm-hmm. the uh, storyboard approach definitely works. Um, yeah, you create your outlets and you link everything together and then a designer file gets generated and then all your code just magically works and all that. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty, pretty it seems it's very familiar. And super familiar to, to an iOS programmer. It's pretty much the identical workflow i think it's actually the same tool doing the syncing so (laughs) So, very familiar so the 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 ui essentially i can think of i want to get this straight kind of for our listeners and and how i look at it is to me it kind of looks like when i go to ios there is a similar ui paradigm but different using statement up top some different widget names (laughs) some different base layouts which makes sense because it's desktop not mobile so there may be some different types of controllers that are in there just like when i did a wpf application on the desktop mm-hmm. and then storyboards are very similar um there's no constraints are there constraints like in oh, general yeah. constraints have come uh it, traditionally uh, uh it had a it had the boxes and springs model which is like mm-hmm. you know you can anchor a point or you can stretch mm-hmm. things and it was pretty simple you could generally create really good uis with it but then yeah auto layout came to us and constraints and you know we're dealing with them it kind of works it's really a pain in the butt (laughs) okay okay so you you can do some of that stuff essentially if you if you want to if you really want to i i tend to stick to the older boxes and struts and springs model much simpler that makes sense got it got it got it yeah okay Mm And then the, the, there are like some weird, I mean, it's a desktop operating system. Are there some weird gotchas that come along with this <laughs> UI paradigm? I mean, because there's keyboards yeah. and there's touch bar stuff that's going mm-hmm. on now, a little bit different. Yeah. Okay. So one one area where AppKit's kind of cool is that they really had an architecture for what how they believe apps should be written. And you are 
really encouraged, if not forced, into this architecture. And part of that is this funny concept called the responder chain, which um, iOS programmers run into and mostly try to ignore as best they can. There's a class UI responder, and they're just like, nope not looking at that <laughs> yeah, basically i can think of yeah first responder and like uh, entry texts and things like that like text fields mm-hmm. and key- basically i just think about it as a keyboard so someone is gonna <laughs> i never quite understood what it meant all i know is there's some code that i can write that makes the keyboard go away let me see if i can explain it because it's it's quite okay. elegant but i i'm not even sure if i can i'm gonna do my best though an application, its user interface is naturally kind of hierarchical. You have your outer shell of your app. It's usually the menu bar and all that kind of stuff. Then within that, you have a toolbar. Then within that, or not within that, but parallel to that, you have a content area. And in that content area, you might have some graphics and some buttons and maybe a panel. And within that panel, it contains a text box. This is how we write user interfaces, right? We just, there is this natural hierarchy there. And so this question comes up, uh, this is an age-old one, of how do you and who does handle button clicks? Who's responsible for handling mm-hmm. a button click? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned text boxes before, but the thing about the responder chain is it unifies all events into this concept of some event happened over this view, be it a button, be it a text box, maybe uh, someone swiped their finger on it, maybe they clicked, maybe they sneezed on it, whatever, some event was generated. And what happens with the responder chain is it naturally, automatically for you, walks up that hierarchy that you established in your app. It's a hierarchy that we all put in our apps naturally. And so they just figure, well, if an event's going to happen, let's just shoot it through that hierarchy. This is opposed to how... C-sharp developers coming from a Windows background are used to dealing with events. For us, events are manually uh, subscribed to. So if you want to pay attention to that button being clicked, then you have to find a reference to that button and you have to say, button, when you get clicked, run this code of mine. Uh, That's how we're used to it. It's this explicit way of event handling, whereas the responder chain is a very implicit way of event handling. Hmm. Does that make any sense? No. I'll, I'll try again. Bit. We'll that do an episode. Sense. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it makes some sense. It's it makes some sense. Okay. Yeah. Well, just putting it this way, it's a different architecture. And at first, you can fight it if you come from a different background because you're like, what the heck is this silly thing doing? But if you learn how it works and you learn how they intended it to work and for you to consume it, it actually becomes a very powerful construct and you can really uh, simplify a lot of the code in your app. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Just kind of understand that model. And it's probably one of the most important things it sounds like if we have to go in depth as the gotcha that maybe differs from standard mobile development to this development yeah mobile was a lot less opinionated they're like here's a button here's a way to put it on the screen good luck your architecture is your own yeah a lot less opinionated i think some people don't like AppKit because of those opinions but you know it's how flexible are you be flexible makes sense (laughs) makes sense makes sense interesting um and one thing i've definitely noticed in so there's actually something interesting. It's so interesting that we're talking about Mac OS because in the last six months, I think I've said this before on the podcast, is that I've gotten more and more requests to take all my libraries, which 
usually support like Windows 10, iOS, Android, and sometimes even .NET 4.5 for WPF apps to actually bring macOS support over. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And, uh, Do it. <laughs> yes. And I have Honestly. a lot of plugins. I have a lot of plugins. And my gotcha is that obviously not all the same things really apply to necessarily Mac OS, just like I've had a hard time mm-hmm. sometimes doing it on Windows 10. But um, what I found is that the actual APIs are nearly identical, but if they exist yeah. between the two operating systems. Yeah, this is, thank you, Apple, for this. Aside from the user interface layer, AppKit versus UIKit, pretty much every other library is identical between iOS and Mac. So it's, yeah, as long as it's not like mobile specific, like an accelerometer or something like that, and as long as like a desktop computer is physically capable of it, yeah, the IP- APIs should be identical. And yeah. I got to tell you, uh, thank you so much, because uh, one of the problems with being in uh, Xamarin Mac developer is that there are just aren't that many libraries for us out there. Of course, all the big .NET libraries that are portable or .NET standard, whatever you're using, those all just work. But mm-hmm. any Anything that touches any hardware or does user interface stuff is pretty lacking on the Mac right now. So please get it over. Well, I think for a long time, what happened there in that world was that Xamarin iOS and Xamarin Mac were two different paid products. And now everything's free. So there's more incentive. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so good good instance of this when if developers are other thinking about porting their libraries to Mac OS, you can take a look at my settings or my connectivity plugin and my settings plugin, I didn't change any code from iOS. I just added them as linked files or shared projects and not a Mm -hmm. single line of code changed. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it really, aside from the user interface, it's so easy to move code between them. That's why, generally speaking, whenever I start a new app, the two platforms I go after are Mac and iOS in the beginning. I usually go straight for iOS first, but then Mac is so easy to port from, uh, from iOS. Yeah, and there's really only one gotcha, which I think you said earlier, which is as long as the desktop operating system has it, it's probably in the API. And a good instance of that is, I think, Core Foundation. You know, you know there's Core Foundation. It's really nice. So you just use Core Foundation. Unlike Android, which is like using Android, it's just like using Core Foundation and it exists in mm-hmm. both. I had to do one little if def. And I just did conditional compilation, which is that on Mac OS, there is, oh no, sorry, on iOS, there is a network reachability flag of is WAN which essentially mm. is like, hey, or do you have a cellular connection? Well, that doesn't exist on macOS, so you have to just if-def that out, essentially. Oh. But that was it. I mean, two <laughs> yeah. lines of code in the entirety of it, and everything came over nearly one-to-one, which was really convenient, to be honest with you. I was I was pleasantly surprised. Now, I, now I'm not sure how much how easy it will be once I try to take a photo and I start launching <laughs> you know, UI um, camera view controllers or something like that that probably don't exist, but... Um, as far as the easier plugins that are just core functionality of the systems, I'm gonna start bringing them all over. I'm 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 presently I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, awesome. I have to complain a little bit because in the past <laughs> the Mac project was separate from the iOS one, and so sometimes they would diverge in like the dumbest ways, like a lowercase API name versus an uppercase API name. And so, thank you, Xamarin, for finally getting the two merged together pretty nicely. So yeah, you can do this just link the file in into a new project and it just compiles yeah and i think that there's a nuget out there i think michaela did it i i I haven't looked that out to find it 
but she made it and you can essentially pull in a portable class library if you don't want to use shared projects, which I simply love, mm-hmm. but you can use a portable class library, add this like Xamarin iOS Mac NuGet, and it will expose all of the cross intersection APIs into a portable class library for you. It's, it's very intriguing. Ooh, it's crazy. Magic build step there, huh? Wow. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's anyways. Uh, put that one in the show notes. I'm gonna have to look that one up. It, it's pretty cool. I don't know if she updated <laughs> it recently, or we can probably ping her on it. But it's kind of okay. a cool idea of creating one library yeah. you could distribute anywhere. Um, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, yeah. No, what's and, interesting and, is yeah. Go ahead. Well, I just had to say about the camera because you brought the camera up. Yeah, oh, you geez. probably won't have like uh, take a picture view controller because they don't tend to have those kinds of APIs in AppKit. But surprisingly, like all the stuff to actually access the camera and actually get a photo out of it, those APIs are all the same. So it's just Mm. up to you to actually build a little UI for it. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That seems not too bad then. I might need need to recruit the Frank Krueger for that one. But No, I think uh, Apple's done pretty well in the universal platform business. I mean, Microsoft's ahead with UWP, except uh, Apple's got a lot more apps on there. (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about how I develop these libraries and how I'm starting to get into Mac development. But I do want to take, um, we got to take a little break and and thank, thank our one and only sponsor this week. You ready for this? I can't wait to hear who it is. You already know who it is because it's Raygun. (laughs) That is correct. Now... We have had Raygun on, we cannot thank Raygun enough um, for sponsoring Merge Conflict for so many weeks uh, and really helping bring this show to you each and every week uh, and allowing us to buy some stickers. And we're super excited to get some stickers to all of our listeners. Um, And if you don't know about Raygun, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a different read this week uh, because I've been using Raygun a lot for all of my crash reporting and for a lot of my analytics in my applications. And what's cool about Raygun that I love is that no matter what I'm developing, whether it's a Mac application, which they now support, whether it's web, whether it's mobile, whether it's Xamarin, it's an SDK, and I add in a line of code, just get managed and native crash reporting. It, it's, it's just that dead simple. And that's what I truly love about Raygun. But they've added some really cool new things that I've been loving. I think we mentioned it before, but they send out these weekly updates. And because I don't have all the time in the world to go stop, look at all my reports, unless there's a mission critical bug. And I do both their pulse and their crash reporting. And what I love about the pulse is that every week they'll tell you how your application is performing. So is it crashing a lot? How's the average load time of pages, just your normal app to start to get to the first um, um, screen? What percentage of your users and on what devices are they experiencing slow load times? Like I'm not gonna go dive through all these reports to figure that out. They give you all the charts and graphs inside of the email so you don't have to go jump to the portal and you can simply click on view users in portal or view graph in portal and this like blew my mind is i was looking at the scoreboard application and they will tell me this is so important for doing load balancing they'll actually tell you when and what times of days your your application is active with your users so for instance i can see sunday night is the most activity for new and returning users to my application. Because the scoreboard application, everyone's playing board games, I guess, on Sunday night. It, it just blew my mind. I click on it and I go into it and there's the entire entirety of all my users, my dashboard that's there. And I don't have to do any work. They just generate that report for me. Um, but they have one new cool thing that I'll talk about too before we get back into it, which is if you're concerned about crash reporting, they just rolled out this new feature called reports. 
In the reports, you can do custom reporting. So you can say, hey, only show me things that happened in the last 30 days. You can do like monthly reports and they only contain this type of exception or they occurred this many times. And you can save these reports and rerun them and export them into different like uh, different um, exports essentially out of the system. So if you're really concerned to say, has this thing been occurring over and over and over again? And, and where does this occur? You can create these reports and execute them and you can download them as CSVs. Um, so essentially you could then take them into like Power BI or do something else that you want to do with it. And that's what I like about Reagan. You can always get your data out as well. And it's very readable and you kind of have these columns and you can say, oh, if the version is greater than this, like how active. So imagine trying to look at your crash reports on a very specific version of your application while well, you just create a report, run the report. And now you can see if this is occurring on anything like less than version 1.0 or greater than version 1.0. So you don't have to go dive through all these different error reports. Anyways, I super highly recommend people take a look at Raygun. I simply love it. Uh, all listeners, for our listeners of Merge Conflict, you can get a free 30-day trial. Everything that I'm talking about right here, you can go do. You can try out crash reporting and pulse. 30-day trial, go to raygun.com slash merge conflict. When you do that, you're not only um, supporting the show, but you also get to try an awesome product and help increase um, how awesome your application is when it's out there running in the wild or just in beta. Cannot thank Raygun enough. Um, thanks, Raygun. Thank you, Raygun. Yeah, I just had to, I just had to do this. You know, I've been uh, been really I've been really loving the stuff they're doing. So. Um, those reports sound awesome because oftentimes I don't like the emails that people think like the things that other people think are important to me. I'm like, no, I don't care about those. I want to know these other things. So I love the custom report idea. Much, yeah, yeah. Custom report. Better. Super cool. Um, you know, and what's interesting. So if we jump back into building these libraries and building these apps, I've been really into big into CI and the biggest showstopper for me for a long time um, for building my Mac applications because I was lazy, mm-hmm. but it was difficult is that I, uh, Mac applications always had to be, or libraries always had to be built inside mm-hmm. of Xamarin Studio on a Mac. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have this problem. I have it in reverse though, because I work off of a Mac and my CI is all a Mac. I can never build windows programs. So exactly. <laughs> That's definitely a yeah, problem. Common yeah. problem. And Com- and I think yours yeah. is more more common or it's a bigger problem because often build servers are Linux machines or Windows machines, you know, people Macs are expensive, so they often don't turn them into build servers. Exactly. Yeah, and they're hard. They're used by server farm. So I use AppVayor for all of my library CI. We should do a whole CI shenanigan mm-hmm. episode. Um lots of requests for that. But I use AppVayor and it's just a Windows 10 instance with Visual Studio. Now, what's important here is that you can build iOS libraries on a PC and export them. They're just DLLs. You, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's IL. Yeah. You're not building the application where you have to build an application. So you need a Mac. The problem was, is that we never supported Mac building on, on Windows ever. Like you couldn't even open yeah. the project. Didn't the work. The DLLs weren't there, right? So like AppKit, basically, Xamarin's interface to AppKit was just missing. So out of exactly luck. exactly but we added recently in I think december time frame which is why i'm now able to do this stuff <laughs> is essentially very very limited support uh, and i put this that's I put this, what it took that's yeah. actually why you're doing this mac development because <laughs> they finally supported visual studio i see how the world works it's yes, got to be in vs <laughs> yes they support very limited though only building um sure. libraries um <laughs> And okay, there's no yeah. UI designer, there's no simulator, mm-hmm. you can't deploy, but okay. you can 
build an IL DLL library. Look, which cool. if this means that more nougats will support Mac, whatever. Uh, please go out there and download this add-in because please, we need more libraries. <laughs> so it's totally there. I should do a whole blog on it. Now I will say there's a few gotchas and I found bugs on it, which is um, sometimes the facades don't get in, installed essentially on the CI server. So mm-hmm. for instance, in a lot of mine, you'll see me, if you open up my settings project, I have the Mac thing there, which you can't create inside of Visual Studio. You can't create a Mac library. So you have to go in Xamarin Studio, go create it, oh. open <laughs> But the anyways, is missing. Okay. there's some templates missing. I'm fixing this. I'm, I'm totally going to fix this. Okay. But um, essentially, you just have to go find the facades and say, like, here's where system.task lives and include it and stuff. There's some weird workarounds, but uh, I totally okay. have those two libraries working, building in CI and updating and shipping out to NuGet. And it totally works, Frank, and it's awesome. So I don't, can develop. Don't you have like a blog post to promote here? This is usually where you say I wrote a blog post on this. No, I didn't write a blog post on it, but oh I should. God, James, okay. Coming soon. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, and, and I think that I think that it's pretty awesome that you can do it now. And, and again, like you said, I just want to see more awesome libraries built. Because I'm, I'm excited when Xamarin Forms, um, it's yeah. already started. I think it's in the nightlies. I think you can get it where there's Xamarin Mac support. And I'm just like, oh man, like scoreboard. What, what does that perfect mean? Mac app. What does that mean? Because does nightly mean like it's up on NuGet? Can I get them? Like, can I get a binary or do I still have to compile it? Because oh. I think that Xamarin Forms coming to Mac is going to be a big deal. If, if you have oh. an iOS app already written in Xamarin Forms, for the love of God, put it on the desktop. Like lots of people stare at their Macs all day long. Put it mm-hmm. out there. People will download it. I promise. <laughs> Synchronize some data between the two. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's this new thing in Xamarin Forms. We talked about Xamarin Forms a few uh, weeks ago on the podcast. Sure. Uh, one UI to rule them all. Uh, and so there's a new, there's a blog post. I'll put the blog post in the show notes. But essentially, um, NuGet has a really special op- option, which you can just add your own NuGet server and point at it. So what they did is they created a MyGet, which is a private NuGet server. Mm-hmm. And every single night in CI, Xamarin Forms builds and publishes a brand new um, nightly build. Kind of think of a dev build every single night. So if during the day a pull request comes in a master, guess what? It's going to be in that nightly build. And you can grab it. And, and the next morning when you wake up, if you already have it, there'll be an update in your NuGet manager because there's a new version every single day. <laughs> every day. So, <laughs> okay, that can get annoying. No, that's awesome. So... uh, uh Specifically speaking, so when I open my NuGet dialog, it has a feeds list in it, and I can go add another feed, find this magic URL to this nightly build feed, add that in, and then search for it, I guess, and add it. And that's it. it. Be yeah, exactly. Easy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you and if you already have the 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 Xamarin Forms NuGet and other ones, it NuGet doesn't care where it's coming from. It's just looking for the latest version. So you don't even mm-hmm. have to unselect the official feed, you just say, hey, go look at all my NuGet feeds, whichever one is the latest version, which will always be nightly. Go give me an install that. Oh, um, fascinating. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, I didn't. It always merges. And yep, neato. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I so, like it because actually I, I've avoided it because I'm getting a little, I don't like compiling things from source. <laughs> so this is a big <laughs> deal for me. I'm, I'm probably going to be doing this tonight, trying to create a Xamarin Forms Mac app. Yeah, do it. I think our your feedback would be invaluable, Frank Krueger. So <laughs> it's an early version. I know that much, though, right? So everyone's still implementing stuff. I think it's pretty. Getting close. Getting close. In fact, I think 
I think they were just waiting on me to port some of my libraries over because they were taking some of my existing library or my existing mm. apps and porting them over. So you're the bottleneck. <laughs> I was the bottleneck for Xamarin Forms <laughs> Mac OS. No, I think you were just samples, but um, I'm excited because I really think that, like you said, this could be a real. I've already seen this big insurgent in like, hey, this is a whole new platform that really people haven't touched and. There's a big ecosystem there. I mean, I know there's big ecosystems on Windows 10 as well, but absolutely, yeah. But I think that um, we know it. But, yeah, and I was saying Mac. It's a smaller. Anytime you look at statistics, there's like one person out of a billion using a Mac, but they spend money. <laughs> they spend buy apps. <laughs> spend that money. Yeah. Now the interesting part. Before we get out of here, there was one more bullet point that I know we wanted, and this, we're already in the fifties minute <laughs> at this point. So who cares? We we're going for day. that. We're going for your morning and afternoon commute, people. Uh, <laughs> that I have a MacBook, MacBook rose gold, normal MacBook, and I've seen in the wild finally MacBook Pros with touch with the um, slate black touch or whatever bar. touch bar in the mm -hmm. midnight gray, slate gray, Pretty very looking. sexy looking. Mm -hmm. um, I feel as though, has Mac hardware, and this is even PC, PC software hardware to an extent, but it, has Apple given up on new Mac hardware? <laughs> Are they done? No, they specifically said we're still passionate about the Mac. <laughs> that is the company line. And I'm joking around a little bit um, because overall, Apple has had amazing hardware. Um, I, the computers that you buy tend to last forever. They keep running well. All that good stuff, they build them really nicely. But I think um, power users are getting a little annoyed at Apple right now because they're making some funny decisions on that latest uh, MacBook Pro. All the ports are USB-C. It doesn't come with anything else, so it's kind of a pain in the butt to deal with. You have dongles everywhere. Anytime you want to connect it to anything, you have to have an adapter for this direction and that. You look at their line of Mac Pros. They haven't been updated in four, five years, ever. Yeah. ever. They released, like, it hadn't been updated for, like, two years, and people are desperate, or three years, maybe, and please give us a new one. They finally gave us a new one, and then they haven't updated that for five years. So from a power user's perspective, maybe even, say, a programmer's perspective, it's a little bit annoying right now, the current state of Mac hardware. But Apple promises us they still love the Mac, and they're going to do something with it. Um, Am I going to get a new Mac Mini? I just want a new no. Mac Mini. Can I have one? No. Oh, I, how long have we been begging for a new Mac Mini? I feel like that's like seven years. <laughs> how long have like when when was the last nicely re released Mac Mini forever ago? Well, so if you look uh, at Mac Rumors, right, that's where oh, yeah, right. the Buyer's sure, Guide well. is at. <laughs> yeah. If you if you've never done this, it's oh, it's please. a pleasure. So yeah, Macs, iMac, iMac, Mac Mini, Mac Pro. We've gone eight hundred and fifty nine days on the Mac Mini. Um, where is yeah, that? But those poor... are even small revisions too. I think that was like a yeah. processor. It wasn't even Mac like Pro. a proper release or anything. Mac Pro, one thousand one hundred and sixty-one days. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so um, we're all wondering, like, hey, where's the new awesome hardware? And then they gave us a Touch Bar, and it's kind of flaky and buggy, and it's kind of annoying, and no one really cares. So it's what can I say? The hardware's getting is in kind of a little. 
what valley valley <laughs> plateau well, have you seen these i don't know new... is it up down <laughs> yeah i don't know have you seen these new commercials that they just released like the last week mm, was it the one making fun of viruses again Th- that was one of them they released a series of them all about how your ipad pro can replace your pc oh okay that's cool because yeah your ipad pro should replace your pc throw your pc out and go get one of those yeah, but does, aren't they then saying that your your uh, iPad Pro can replace your MacBook? Because that is a laptop? No, I don't believe they said that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you want me to say? <laughs> once, once you have an iPad you're, you're Pro, it'll me pair choose it nicely. Between, I just talked for 40 minutes or 50 minutes about how much I love the Mac, and then you asked me about my other love, the iPad Pro. What am I going to do? <laughs> no, I, I will say that. I, I think that, I think, I think when we hear this a lot, so people are like, well, James and, and Frank, you just said you have all this stuff about building Mac applications, and then you hear listen to a lot of podcasts that are like, oh, the Mac hardware is dying. And, and rest assured, it's really not. Now, I think what they're realizing is that the Mac desktop itself really isn't a thing. That's why you don't see Mac mini updates or iMac updates or Mac Mac pro updates, but we continuously see the MacBook update, the MacBook pro update because people keep buying them, right? I yeah. love my MacBook. I think it is a, so it's such a beautiful piece of hardware, even though it's That's running a mobile MacBook processor. adorable. That's that little light uh, one, right? Yes, the adorable the MacBook one. Adorable. Yes. Yeah. It is. Awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. It's about to get it come and get a new revision because it's almost at mm. its 400 day mark. Oh, but, geez. uh, it's great. I mean, it's yeah. it eight gigs of RAM. It runs great. And even the new MacBook, I mean, I have one from 2013, four years ago. And I mean, it is a power horse still. It's yeah. it's great. Um, so I think that's the thing is there's not been a huge need to really crazy rev it, right? I mean, hardware mm-hmm. and even my Surface Book, when you look at the new Surface Book update, it's like a spec bump um, because it's just great hardware and and the software pairs with it. So to me, I don't think the MacBook's going away at all. I think they could use some more revs of it, but I do want a new Mac mini. Just like, give me a new freaking Mac <laughs> Well, mini. you just want your build server and you want your desktop machine. And and I get it. People want to put like three 30-inch monitors on it. And, you know, probably the new one can run that, but it's much better to just have a little Mac mini. And yeah, I got to say that MacBook Adorable really gave the iPad Pro a run for its money because like size and weight, they're not actually that different from each other. And it's the classic form factor. What an amazing computer. Yeah. I will say, hopefully they, I'm, I'm not getting, a lot of this is very, very debated when it comes to hardware, but I really do think the MacBook, they could just literally add a touchscreen and not care about anything. And I would totally use it all the time. I don't know why they haven't done it. There's this old thing about like Steve Jobs not wanting to poke at the screen or something like that. But I really think it's holding them back. I, I was really depressed when they announced the touch bar because yeah, give us a full touch screen. I, I, Maybe I'm a terrible person, but I poke at the window all the time. (laughs) All the time. 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 I'm terrible. And I wish it would actually react. (laughs) Someone saw me use my Surface Book and how I use the touchscreen, which I never use the touchscreen except for when I'm kind of in my laptop mode. And I I jump back and forth. Sometimes it's a big button. I just want to press on it or... I'll be sitting down in my lap and I'll, I'll use two finger scroll. I'll, I'll scroll the browser cause it's a lot better than the trackpad and things like that. Maybe because the MacBooks trackpad is so much better than the, any windows machine ever built. But, um, anyways, I digress. That's our, I don't know. Any other hardware gripes that you got? Buy one. No, I think we quickly switch from hardware griping to gosh, isn't it nice hardware? So it is yeah, nice hardware. while, while it's stalling, while it's annoying for power users, they're still making nice machines and yeah, it's nice machines mac os is still very nice yeah 
the new OS. And they Sierra got rid of that cool. 10, so we don't even have to ba- debate it anymore. It's just called Mac OS. Mac OS. They did it. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's nice. All right, Frank, anything else that you need to uh, get off your chest? My God, 55 minutes into it. No. <laughs> Thank you All for right. listening to the Giant Mac episode, everyone. Yes, the Giant Mac episode. And, and honestly, I want to thank all of our listeners who have been with us now for 33 episodes. And we've been getting some amazing reviews on iTunes. Uh, it's the only place you can really leave a review besides emailing us directly. We've gotten lots of direct email at our new website, mergeconflict.fm. There's a little contact button, send us an email. But if you, a lot of people ask me, no, I'm a little tangent, but hey, I can't figure out how to write a review on iTunes and Apple doesn't make it easy because you actually have to go into the the store, the the iTunes like store and you have to like click on the button and, and kind of navigate through essentially to like go find the podcast that you subscribe to and then do it um, and leave a review. Even just leave a star review. It means so much. It actually helps the show tremendously because um, a lot of other applications like Overcast and, and Pocket Cast and all these other ones use the iTunes feed for these recommendations. So by going and just leaving a five-star review or leaving some feedback, it really helps the show. And we would love you deeply forever for just leaving a review if you're using iTunes or if you're not. Just go in, leave a review if you're on a Mac or if you're on a an Apple device of any sorts. We would love you forever. We love your feedback on our Twitter account. We've been getting great, great feedback at MergeConflict.fm. You can find all of the links no matter what device you're using when you go to MergeConflict.fm to subscribe and listen. Um, I think until next time, this is Merge Conflict, and I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening.